Hey everybody, welcome back to The Process. This is Nick Veronica. We got my best friend, Charlie Bukowski, with us. And this week we welcome a special guest, Greg Thompson from Cover One. Thanks, Greg, for coming on. We had a good talk about the Bills-Patriots AFCE showdown that none of us saw coming before the season. We talked about what to expect in the game, how the Bills are going to handle the loss of all-pro cornerback Tredavious White, and we looked at the offensive line. Is Josh Allen's uh, big air quotes here struggles? Are they due to the offensive line? How much is on him? We talked about everything. Thank you, Greg, for coming on. Shout out to our sponsors, Ethos Performance Rehab. Find them online for all of your performance needs. And hey, shout out to the Bennett Tigers playing for the Class AA State Championship this weekend. Go Tigers! All right, gentlemen, how are we doing? Happy uh, late Thanksgiving, happy early holidays. What's going on? Yeah, it's, a, it's an exciting time to be a Bills fan. I don't know that I expected it to be the Patriots game is the game of the year, but hey, we're in one of the games of the year, so I'll, I'll take it. How about it? Happy sure. holidays, Merry Christmas, boys. Uh, glad to have you here. Yeah, yeah man. Who, who would have thought? Who would have thought a month or two months ago this game is like looking to be for the division? Patriots are coming yeah. in hot, man. Yeah, I, I don't know if you guys saw, uh, we had Mark Schofield on the show last night, and he had the idea, Aaron Quinn ran with it and took, you know, Barney, you know, gets thrown out of the bar and Simpsons, and he's standing there, and, you know, wiping his hands, oh, we're done with him, and then he shows up behind him again. He did one with, like, a Patriots hat on and a Bills hat. It's like, <laughs> no matter what we do, we just can't get rid of them. I, it's it's uh, I thought we were going to have a little bit of time here where they were in a, I was hoping for a longer downturn to mm-hmm. enjoy their mediocrity, but, mm-hmm. you know, it is what it is. I, uh, Greg, I mean, I don't know if you want to start right here or not, Charlie, but I, I'm kind of surprised how quickly Mac Jones has become, uh, I don't know if you want to say great, good, just serviceable NFL quarterback. Like, I kind of thought it would have taken a little bit longer. Yeah. You know, I think that, you know, obviously he's in an ideal situation, whether you talk about the starting point that Brady had, you talk about guys like, Ben Roethlisberger's rookie year, Russell Wilson's rookie year, Matt Ryan's rookie year, situations like that where you come in, you have a great defense, strong offensive line, strong running game. Even in those situations, guys like Mac Jones, I wasn't concerned about him or even that big of a fan of him coming out because Same. you saw not a great athlete, not a great arm at Alabama, six seconds in the pocket, three yards of separation <laughs> with every receiver. Like, how, how do I know how good he is? Most of the time where you have an issue with that is guys get to the NFL and they're like, oh, don't worry. I can make that 15-yard out to the opposite hash I did in college. The biggest compliment I can give Mac Jones and the biggest thing I was surprised in is how self-aware he is. He doesn't try to do too much ever. He doesn't put himself in bad situations. So now he also hasn't had to go win a game with big-time throws. But I give him credit. He hasn't put himself at risk, and he's let the defense make plays. He's let the running game make plays and hasn't messed up. We'll see how it goes when he needs to make a big-time throw. But he's played smart and hasn't messed up. Speaking of the running game, Greg, you know, um, does this running game scare you a little bit? I know it's not you know, really compared to a, uh, uh, like a Jonathan Taylor or, or a, a Derrick Henry, but the Bills have struggled against some power – strong running backs and you know with Damian Harris and 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 those guys in New England I mean this could be a game where maybe Mac Jones isn't the story at the end of the game maybe it's the running backs um I'm afraid of their offensive line I'm concerned Mm. with their own line I I think that they open up some holes I don't think I I think Damian Harris and Ramondi Stevenson are 
Zach Moss kind of players. Like they're good running backs. And if you put Zach Moss behind that offensive line, he'd get the yards that they opened up and he'd get the yards that they created for him. Those guys aren't breaking tackles. They're not Jonathan Taylor. They're not, you know, running through tackles and then accelerating for 70 yard runs, but they're good NFL running backs. Like they're real NFL athletes. And if you have an, heck their offensive line, I, I was so frustrated. They're, they have Michael and when you as like just an extra superfluous dude, he'd be one of our best offensive linemen. He can't even get in their starting five. Like he's their extra sixth lineman that like, Hey, yeah, we're going to shuffle things around and just put you off to the bench. He's really good. He's their sixth lineman. Um, When you have that kind of situation, they're opening up holes and those guys are good enough to take advantage of it. So I, I think that it's not the risk we had of like breaking the big one and, running through multiple tackles and shaking guys for huge runs. But I am worried about, you know, those guys can have 12 yard run, eight yard run, 16 yard run, six yard run, those kind of drives. They are capable of that. And the bills are going to have to be ready. I'm hopeful star and Tremaine Edmonds back will be the difference of that sieve of defense we saw Hmm. against the Colts. How do you evaluate the skill positions on the Patriots that Mac Jones has to work with? So obviously, you know, anybody who follows me online knows I'm a, I'm a big cap nerd and I, I, I go into the contracts a lot. Um, you know, long term, the Patriots overpaid for the talent that they got. However, I think. At tight end you're talking or like, I don't, uh, I, I don't feel like, like they added, did they add that many receivers even? Uh, they signed Nelson Aguilar. They signed Kendrick Bourne. They signed Johnu Smith. They signed Hunter Henry. Um, they kept Jacoby Myers. Um, all four players they overpaid for the player. However, um, Bills fans took that as overpaid means those guys aren't any good. That's not the case. Um, They're going to have to deal with some ugly, bad contracts next year and the year after. However, their skill position uh, talent was so low that Mm. bringing in four viable NFL starters, none of them are you know, special. It's not like they added, you know, Travis Kelsey or, or you know, you, you know, CD Lamb or something like that. Um, but they went from, you know, guys who shouldn't be in the NFL. They were starting Dalton Keene <laughs> and, um, you know, Devin Asiasi and, you know, just guys who shouldn't be in the NFL mm-hmm. to now five NFL caliber skill position players. Their improvement was so big that now it just makes them viable. So, I don't think they have anybody that I'm, you know, say the loss of Trey White. I'm not terrified against the Patriots because they don't have some guy who's going to just dominate one-on-one, but they're good enough to be worried about. Well, and and you bring up Trey White and these wide receivers. I think this is a game where you really see what the Bills' safeties are made of and really what they can do. Um, You know, I think it's going to be a big game for Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde, um, you know, without Trey White. Yeah, it's – so – I think fans who were worried about the defense falling off a cliff and just getting, you know, thrown at constantly for Dane Jackson, it's not going to be like that. What we're going to lose, most fans aren't even going to notice. It's going to take people who, you know, my partner over at Cover One, Eric Turner, is one of those crazy 
visual savants who can like look at me. Like, hey, well, yeah, they actually ran that route pattern last year against the Colts in the second half. I'm like, what's wrong with you? How do you how do you notice things like that? So was he the, was he the one who noticed the 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 fourth down play that they tried earlier this year had yes. been used like a decade ago? Yes, he's a weirdo. It's funny, you know, it's he's a genius with that kind of stuff. It's crazy, but he's a weirdo. Um, so people like that, he's going to notice things, and we're going to be able to go through and look. There are some exotic disguise coverages that Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde can do that can trick defenses. And there's some of those that they have the luxury to play with because they can leave Trey on an island. There are some of those that they probably have to take out of the arsenal because you can't leave Dane Jackson just completely on his own on an island like that. But they're also two of the best safeties in the NFL. So if you're going to need to give a little bit of an extra safety blanket to two younger, less experienced cornerbacks, those are the two safeties you want to do it with. So if you want to have any solace that, oh my gosh, the season's over because we lost Trey White, Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer are going to make it okay that Dane Jackson or Levi Wallace are out there. However, some of those plays where we see the awesome turnovers where they appear out of nowhere to snag a ball, it's because they were able to kind of hide in a spot. We might lose a little bit of that where they can get tricky. Was it? I, I forget if it was you or somebody. Someone had tweeted that obviously the loss of Trey hurts, but when you look at who the Bills have left on the schedule, there's really not too many like threatening, incredible number one receivers on the schedule coming up. Was it? Was that? I don't know if that was you or not, but it sounds like something you might have tweeted. Do you have a? Uh, I mean, what's your take? This has to feel like it downgrades their Super Bowl chances, but you know, in reality, knowing what's ahead, like how do you see this really affecting the team? Yeah, uh, I will say we aren't going to know the true impact of it until the playoffs because you talk about we're going to play the Patriots. Um, I'll leave out the next game because that one we will notice. Right. But then you're going to go Panthers, Falcons, Jets. You know, two games against Patriots, Panthers, Falcons, Jets. Those five games. I'm fine with Dane Jackson and Levi Wallace. They're going to be okay. The rest of the defense is going to make it okay. We're going to get a preview of it against the Buccaneers. So when we play mm-hmm. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, I think Antonio Brown's not no, suspended he's just, yeah, for he's that suspended. one. So, he's out. Um, so you know, the Tyler Johnson, Rob, Rob Gronkowski, other threats in the passing game. But Godwin and Evans are enough. Mike Evans mm-hmm. is the kind of guy that gives our DBs problems. We're actually okay against the Chris Godwins, the DJ Moore's like we're okay against those guys. It's the Mike Evans with it. Preston Williams mm-hmm. looks like a stud against our secondary because yeah. we're not good against six, five athletic jump ball mm-hmm. guys that can go up and get it. Mike Williams, yeah. those kind of players. Yeah. So we're going to get a preview of that there. Then in the playoffs, if we play the chargers, if we play um, obviously the chiefs players like that, then maybe it comes mm-hmm. into play with mm-hmm. some of it, but ultimately the AFC is not, you know, Devontae Adams and those guys aren't in the AFC. So, you know, it would be in the playoffs or, you know, God forbid, if that's my biggest worry in the Super Bowl, I'll deal with it. Yeah. Greg, can you actually, hold on, Charlie, can you just explain that point a little bit more about some of those receivers you mentioned just for people who aren't super familiar with all of them? Sure, sure. So, you know, obviously the Patriots, you're talking about uh, Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar, Jacoby Myers. Those are all, you know, I, I don't know if any of them would start for the Bills. I, I think that they're Gabe Davis type players. Like they're good, but they're not guys that are going to dominate. Um, the Panthers, you have DJ Moore. Robbie Anderson's a decent player. DJ Moore is a good shifty player. Um, he's, he's quick. He's fast. Um, those are the kind of guys Levi Wallace actually does okay with. Um, the Falcons would have been a good test with Kelvin Ridley. 
but now you're going to talk about it's probably going to be Russell Gage and guys like that that just aren't going to be a huge threat. Um, the Jets are interesting. They're coming into their own a little bit. Um, if Corey Davis is playing and the way that Elijah Moore, their first-round pick, is, is starting to come around or their second pick, maybe the early second round, I'm not sure where they picked him or they might have traded up into the late first. Um, he's been really interesting lately that he's taken over the Jamison Crowder, Keelan Cole role uh, and been pretty explosive. So I think that, you know, if that's a game, maybe we get a little bit of a preview of it heading into the playoffs where going against Corey Davis and Elijah Moore is there, but it would be, you know, when we play a Tyreek Hill or the Chargers would be a great example where I would be concerned about Keenan Allen on one side and Mike Williams on the other, Mm -hmm. a team that I think we would be better than and have other flaws that would be a matchup specifically where I'd be concerned that, Hey man, that's a lot of bracket coverage, a lot of extra attention from the safeties to take care of those two outside receivers and give Levi and Dane the extra help they probably need. Well, let me ask you this. Cause it looked like uh, against the Titans, Levi Wallace got exposed against AJ Brown at times, um, you know, especially on the short quick slants to the middle. Um, and the Bills, for the most part, defense was fairly healthy that game. There was no one really missing. What can the Bills do? Knowing Belichick, you know Belichick's looking at that film and just licking his lips at saying, look, I could do this all day. Um, how do the Bills go out and stop something like that against a Mac Jones? And and maybe not wide receivers who are as um, you know gifted as an A.J. Brown, but you know any wide receiver can run a 10-foot ten, ten slant or you know a 10 slant in and whatever. Um, you know, what can they do to stop that? So part of it is Bills fans probably need to brace themselves for the fact that's the kind of play Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier kind of like to invite. They want to, they want to dare you. Do you have the discipline to do that all the way down the field? And can you complete it seven times to be able to pull this off? Cause we're going to rally and tackle. We're not going to let you, you know, break it off for for yak after the catch. Our safeties, our linebackers, they move really well in coverage. You're not going to be able to break that and then take it for 30. Um, so if you want to try seven-yard slants over and over and over again, okay. And if you have the discipline to have the timing, not have any of those bounce up in the air for us to get a hand on, not have any of them go incomplete where all of a sudden you're getting third and long and the seven-yarder isn't going to pull it off. Uh, you're not going to have any penalties and get yourself into a second and 20 and all of a sudden slants aren't going to be good enough. Do you have the discipline to continue to do that all the way down the field? They're okay giving up the seven-yard completion and rallying and tackling and hoping that you can do it, knowing that the alternative of taking that away opens up Dane Jackson to the double move. Because if you want to have him press up and you want to have him get physical, he's physically capable of that. But he doesn't have the nuance not to fall for it and then get beat. You know, for anything Nelson Aguilar can do, he can get deep. He can take you long. Um, You need to keep those guys in front of you. I I would rather trust they're going to tackle, trust that, hey, maybe Mac misses on one of them. Maybe one goes off Aguilar's hands. He doesn't have great hands. Um, You know, can they get one up in the air and then hope Micah Hyde or Jordan Poyer come down with it? I'd rather... It's frustrating to watch it when it's happening. Oh, my gosh, why is he giving up all these completions? Part of it's kind of the design. Is there something that this uh, Bills defense could do to maybe expose Mac Jones? You know, he didn't have a good game earlier on the season against the Jets. I know it was the second game of the year, but I felt like that was a game where he kind of really looked 
um, really looked like a rookie. And since then, he's come into his own a little bit more. But how can this Bills defense, being without Trey White, um, really expose him and, and, and force the turnovers and win the turnover battle this week? So the areas he struggled is when you have pressure that he doesn't obviously identify. He does decent shuffling his feet and moving in the pocket when he can see it coming. Um, so he's able to manipulate the pocket decently, move, shuffle around, step up, not roll into it. He's not great at identifying it coming off the edges. So mm-hmm. the Bills are pretty good at timing when to send Taron Johnson on a blitz, when to send Micah Hyde on a blitz, when to send Jordan Poyer on a blitz. And even if there's anything, you know, there are very few, maybe no areas where Dane Jackson's an upgrade over Trey White. He maybe throws his body around a little bit more than Trey does. Uh, you can send Dane Jackson on a corner blitz that I probably would rather see than Trey White coming on a corner blitz, um, especially talking about some of those rotating um, coverages where, mm-hmm. hey, take Dane Jackson out of the coverage, send him on a blitz and rotate the other guys into his spot. Um I think that maybe we see a little bit more blitzing than we normally do. And and blitz is a relative term. Um, I almost would prefer that Mac Jones doesn't know which four guys are coming. Blitz traditionally means a fifth or a sixth rusher coming. I don't mind dropping a surprise guy into a quick hook zone. I don't want, you know, Greg Rousseau running down the field trying to cover Hunter Henry. But if he's just dropping into a well, he might be able to um, you know, <laughs> drop him into a shallow hook zone, you know, for hoping that the blitz gets home where you're still sending four, but he doesn't know which four are coming, you know, mug it up, have it where he's paying attention on this side, but then the blitz comes off the backside where he can't see it. That's where you can trick him and turn him into a rookie. Greg, t- tell me, I'm curious for your thoughts on the Patriots' use of play action and how they're using that to kind of help massage a rookie quarterback through through the struggles. Yeah, it's annoyingly smart and effective. <laughs> you know, when you have a really good offensive line and a good running game, play action's a rookie's best friend. It is. They're smart to use it. They're smart. They should use it more than what they do. Um, if you look at, like, EPA per play – I think they're the number one passing team in the NFL on first down. Hmm. Um, And it's because their run game's really good. They get teams to push up and then they run play action on first down where you think they're going to run the ball. And then he's not hitting killer plays, but that's where he's hitting the 15 and 20 yard plays just over the linebackers because the linebackers are biting up and, and going up to play the run and he's able to hit it. Um, you know, play action is a weapon everybody should use. The Bills run a lot of play action. I love it. I mm-hmm. wish they'd do even more of it. Um, it's because it's effective. It's because it's a good weapon, and McDaniels is smart to use it. Um, you have to stay really disciplined. The Bills are fortunate. Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde are pretty good against it, but, you know, Tremaine Edmonds, like every linebacker, falls for it here or there. Milano falls for it here or there. It's really hard not to take that false step when you see them go and the Patriots are even better at it. They're tricky with they'll pull their linemen and make it look like a run play with a pull. And they're really just, you know, bringing them around to take up a outside defender in pass protection just to sell the the run fake. Um, It's hard not to fall for it. And we just have to hope they don't hit big plays off of it. 
Is there something that this defensive line, you know, you talk one thing that Sean McDermott and uh, Leslie Frazier like to do is rotate this defensive line. We haven't seen a lot of production uh, this year outside of, and I'll, I'll give him his credit where credit is due. He has gotten a lot of pressures, but you haven't seen a lot of sacks coming from the guys like uh, Jerry Hughes, um, even much from, from Greg Rousseau at times. Is this a week where you maybe see more Boogie Basham? I know some people have kind of had some question marks about him this year and, and, and him getting off the ball. Um, as well as some question marks about AJ Epinesa and that, you know, he's not living up to the hype either. Is this a week where we finally see the, the Bills defensive line maybe kind of break through a little bit with like what you said, sending some blitz maybe off the corner that's opening up that, uh, you know, that spot for the defensive lineman to get through. Ed Oliver's had a big week the last couple of weeks as well. He's played very good football. Do you see more of that uh, positive production out of Ed Oliver? Where does this defensive line go? Because they're a big big emphasis I feel like this week as well for this defense yeah it's so this is going to be a huge calculated risk going into this week in that do you roll with more F.A. Obata and Boogie Basham because of their ability to penetrate and pass rush from the interior also knowing they're not the best run defenders on the Mm -hmm. interior so if you get caught in the wrong run fit an over-penetrating defensive tackle is a nightmare against the Patriots. If you don't fit your gap and you try to shoot it and make a big play, and I'll I'll call this the Jordan Phillips play. It was <laughs> awesome when Jordan Phillips timed it perfectly and got a sack. There were five more plays like that where he over-penetrated and left a six-foot running lane behind him where the running back just got a running start into the second level because he's five yards deep in the backfield and got kicked out by the pulling guard and opened a gaping wound in the defense. Um, I'm nervous about Ed Oliver this week. Um, Ed is really, really good when he's disruptive. He does like to penetrate. You have to be careful. He has to be really, really disciplined and fit his run fit. Or when you disrupt, you have to get home. You have to blow up the play because if you don't, you're leaving, you're leaving a huge opening behind you with this offensive line. Because of that, I won't be shocked if we see another week of Brandon Bryant. I thought he looked okay. I'm fine with <laughs> taking other <laughs> snaps. He looked okay. Um, I think Star takes Eli Ankow's role. So I think you're going to see Star. I think you're going to see Ed Oliver. You'll see Harrison Phillips again. A piece of me wouldn't mind F.A. Obata or Boogie Basham. I, I kind of think you almost have to play it safe and play Brandon Bryant just to have one more thick body in there to take up room to hold the point of attack and hope that you keep Edmonds and Milano clean to make the tackle and that, yeah, you're probably giving up a little bit of pass rush, uh, but hope you can get home with the blitzes rather than the individual one-on-one. Do you see how do you see Star? I know you, you mentioned him quickly. Um, how much time do you think Star gets coming back from COVID? You know, we've seen how it's kind of affected Deion Dawkins, and we'll talk about the offense, uh, the Bills offense here shortly. But I felt like Deion Dawkins hasn't looked like the Deion Dawkins of last year since coming back with COVID, um, or from COVID. What about Star? I mean, he's a big guy, he's he's a big part of he's a quietly big part of the defense, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, 
he's very underrated. I think that some fans don't realize how well he's played this year. He's been really, he's been not only stout at the point of attack, he's been more disruptive than he was historically in the first couple of years with the bills. He's looking like the guy in his first year or two with Carolina explosive blowing stuff up in the backfield pressures and sacks. And so we've never seen stuff like that from him before. Um, I'm, I, I'm, I'm really terrified of the comment in the presser today Deion Dawkins said that, you know, Starr was having chest pains while he was out and called Dion to ask how he dealt with it. Um, that That's terrifying. Like, I, I'm it, – it's made me almost pessimistic of whether he's going to play. Like, do they mm-hmm. need to give him another week to get right? I mean, if he's not all the way there with his wind – you know, you you can't play him and then find out. Oh, he can only go ten snaps. In right, the game. He's, he's, he'd be hurting you by being out there. Yeah, like Ankow played well enough last week. They're like he he's not star, but don't play star and then find out that oh he can only go for five or ten snaps and then he's got to sit. Um, so now we don't know that. Hopefully, they're activating him because he's ready. And I do think that them activating him and him being a, part- a full participant in practice is a very positive sign. But we'll see the progression of that practice participation. It needs to move from limited to full and to get in multiple full days to show that, yeah, he was full go and ready. If he's limited, I won't be shocked if we see him as a healthy scratch, healthy per se, um, as one more week to let him get his win back. Um, when he's right and assuming we don't know that, assuming he gets back to full health, he's a huge part of where this team needs to go. Um, but you know, it, this COVID stuff's crazy. I, I've got a cough right now. I luckily did not have that. Um, but it's you know, it, it's really hard to get over that stuff, and the, it's no, you know, no matter what you do. It's very individual to the person. Some people, it takes weeks to get that back. Just because you're a pro athlete doesn't mean you can't get sick. Like th- these things happen. Um, so hopefully we get him back because he was playing at a really high level. So let's talk about the offensive line. And, and you know, I, I feel Have like we ever we touched... gone this long on a podcast without talking about the offense, Charlie? I think so. I don't know. I, uh, I think, I think there's a game uh, a earlier on the year. Yeah. Right. Where the defense <laughs> just played like complete trash and we had to talk defense all day, but um talk about the offensive line they've clearly struggled there's no other way to put it they 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 haven't looked good uh obviously cody ford is you know i feel like in his last few games in the bills uniform uh you know maybe they keep around one more year uh but they're getting spencer brown back this year and i never thought that i would have this week this week i'm sorry thank you thank you nick it's been it's been a long week for me over here but uh it's felt like a year um so he gets Spencer Brown back this week, and he is clearly, when he's in the lineup, has made a huge difference on this Bills offensive line. Um, have you seen a rookie like him in, in the third round, who's really not a guy you expect to be thrown into the role that he's in, kind of come in and really have that much of an impact so quick? I was adamant that I was excited about the pick. I love the potential. And I didn't want to see him see a field until 2023 <laughs> that, you know, like, Hey, one, he played at a lower level. So he has not gone up against NFL caliber talent. On top of that, he sat out the last year. He hadn't played in two years. Um, and now was coming in as a third round pick. That was a project who is a tight end in high school. And now, no, that guy's not ready to touch the field. I can't believe how quickly his athleticism has translated. And the only example 
um, is something I got to give credit to Joe Marino as the guy who, who picked it out. Um, the only example of a low level, small school, third round athletic prospect who came in and started right off the bat is Taron Armstead in New Orleans. Um, very, very similar. He was a third round pick, super high level athlete, big translation of a project, but they had to throw him in early and it just, the athleticism translated, the footwork translated. He was able to keep up and I can't lie. I'm not sad that he's back this week and we get his footwork against Matt Judon rather than Daryl Williams. Daryl Williams is a more experienced guy. Matt Judon's probably going to get Spencer Brown twice this game on counter moves that he's not ready for and just doesn't have the repertoire to deal with. But the rest of it, I'm fine with Spencer Brown's size and wingspan and footwork being the guy that's staying in front of Matt Judon and not Daryl Williams. And then you now plug one more hole in that Daryl Williams has played really well at guard. And now that's one less weak spot to get Cody Ford out of there. And then if you add on to that, we get John Feliciano back who, you know, probably isn't a huge upgrade over Ike Bakker, but has better chemistry and experience Mm -hmm. and communication with Deion Dawkins. I think all of a sudden you're talking about an offensive line that's been a problem to now an offensive line that's, acceptable and slightly above average. And that's good enough with the rest of our offense. That's all you need is give me average, slightly above average. Don't be a problem. Let Josh and Diggs and Beasley and Sanders go do their thing because he's not running for his life. I think we might be able to get back to that. How, how much of Josh Allen's, I don't even, I don't even want to say struggles, but struggles in massive quotes this year, uh, do, you, do you think is on him versus versus the offensive line? Um, it's one of those unknowable chicken or the egg situations where how much of it is Josh trying to, trying to do too much because he knows he's not going to have protection and he has to leave the pocket a little bit early or has to worry about it or is taking sacks and having to fight guys off and how much of it is just him taking that pressure and them not doing a good job. Um, he is adding to it. It's not all the offensive line. He is adding to that by rushing decisions, by bailing from pockets. But, you know, some of those games, if you've taken 20 pressures in the first three and a half quarters of the game, can you blame him for leaving the pocket a little bit early on the mm-hmm. 21st rep? Because, no. you know, yeah, I'd guess they're coming again too. You know, so some of those, like, yeah, I get it individually when some guy on Twitter takes one snap and says, oh, look at Josh Allen bail from a clean pocket. Be like, well, yeah, the, the previous 20, he got rushed and pressured. I don't blame him for guessing it was coming again this time. Um, so he has added to it. He has felt the pressure of, oh, man, I got to put the team on my back and score 14 points on this throw. And you can see it. You can see it. Um, I use the term front runner, and I, I don't mean it in the derogatory way that it often comes across. Josh Allen is a front runner in the sense of, if he gets rolling, he can have the swagger and confidence to put 40 up on anybody, literally mm-hmm. anybody in the NFL. But also, if it starts rolling the wrong way, you can see it on his face. You can see that, oh, man, here we go again. This sucks. Um, and you can see it when he's on the bench. You can see it when he goes off to the sideline. Sadly, we know pretty quickly whether we're going to win. We know in the first quarter, oftentimes, <laughs> right. like either uh, like see with, it in his face. Yeah, with New Orleans, like, oh, they went three and out and touchdown drive. Oh, they're screwed. They, they got no shot. We're, we're done. <laughs> um, and some of those go the other way. 
you know, it's it's kind of hard not to see it. I, I, and I think a perfect example of what you're saying is the uh, the Colts game. You know, real quick, that Colts game was oh, yeah. out uh, of control. The, the Titans game last year. You know, yeah, the Titans game last year. It, when it when it unravels, it go down goes downhill quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is kind of tough. But now that we don't have any comebacks, we do. But, you know, some of it you can see pretty quickly. Yeah. And now, my, t- I was going to ask, how does that happen when you have a guy like Stefan Diggs? Like, you should feel mm. like, I got somebody open every play. Like, wh- where does that go? Yeah, you know, I'd like to think that he could settle down and trust it as a safety blanket. Um, and, and like I said, there are some. We have some comeback games where – he's been able to figure that out and to do it. Um, I think some of the games um, where it's gone awry are where they've completely bracketed him and just dedicated and said, Hey, we're going to throw two guys at Stefan Diggs every single play. And he's really good, but he's not beat double coverage. Good. Cause he, he's not a Calvin Johnson. No, type he's, not, he's not huge either. Yeah. That, like, Hey, Calvin Johnson, when he's double teamed, eh, I'm still going to throw it up and give it a shot. He could probably still come down <laughs> over both of you. That's not what Diggs is. Like he's, he can roast anyone in single coverage, but if you're going to dedicate two guys, we need Sanders and Davis and Beasley to get home and to be able to pull it off. So, you know, I think that Josh can do a better job in some of those games, being patient, being disciplined, not feeling like he has to win the game on every single throw. But, you know, I, I get it when, when some of those get frustrating. He knows how talented he is and what plays he can make. I get it when he tries to pull it off. So I got to ask because I don't know if you noticed I've changed my my name on Twitter. Uh, I have been <laughs> pounding uh, the table for, for, for months for Matt Breida to get more some Matt touches. Breida. More, more Matt, Matt Breida. Breida. Give me more Matt Breida. He finally got some touches. Do we see another Matt Breida game this week? I think so. I do. Now, um, I think we see a similar game to last week. I don't think mm-hmm. he's ever going to be – He he's not a bell cow. He's not a – you know, lead franchise back kind of guy. It's just not how he's built. I think that he's the kind of guy that I would love to consistently get 10 to 12 touches a game. I'd love to see eight to nine catches or eight to nine carries and three to four targets every game and and let him get out there in the screen game. You saw him take that screen home for a touchdown last week. Um, He still has a little CJ Spiller to him. He sometimes wants to get to the corner and wants to keep taking it to the edge. I I will say I was impressed this last game. He was sticking his foot in the ground and getting upfield, and that's what we need. Get him into the outside zone where he doesn't have to get all the way around the corner, but when he sees it, he can set up a block, and then he has the quickness that the other guys don't have where he can, when he gets his foot in the ground and goes, he can turn something into a six-yard gain like that. Where all of a sudden the other guys they probably get hit at the line of scrimmage because they weren't able to accelerate and just punch through like he can. Um, mm-hmm. Now I'm a little bit nervous of him taking big hits. I don't want him getting 15, 18, 20 touches where I have to worry about a fumble or him breaking down. But I do want him to be a piece of this offense, and you know I I don't know that it. I don't I haven't decided if I think he's a better pairing with Singletary or with Moss. But Moss hasn't shown me all that much Mm -hmm. this year where I have to lobby that it needs to be him. Um, 
I think we see another game of Singletary and Breida as the main two, and, and I think Moss sits again. I um, you you mentioned the screen, and I feel like that's the one part of his game that he does exceptionally well compared to Singletary and Moss because I felt like that running back screen game has struggled so much this year to do anything. I mean, I, I feel like there's a number of times you know the the TV for a screenplay and they go one or two yards, and you know. Um, and you expect more out of a guy like a Singletary and a Moss to at least get some some more yards on a screenplay. Brita does very very good job, like what you said, especially this season, putting his foot in the ground, picking up those extra yards, and even last week taking one to the house. Well, and uh, to, on top of that, um, Aaron and I went to the Packers preseason game and went and watched in person. During that game, we saw Matt Brita as the jet sweep. We mm-hmm. saw him take that as a McKenzie carry on a jet sweep going across. We saw a bubble screen. Uh, with him lined up out wide, and they just ran a quick bubble screen to him. I would love to see – I want to see that back in the offense either way. I, I don't care if it's Isaiah McKenzie. It could be Marcus Stevenson. It could be Matt Breida. I don't care who it is. I want to see that eye candy back in the offense. Um, and I'd be perfectly fine if it's Matt Breida. And I think you can run him on those jet sweeps and do a little pop pass to him, do a little jet sweep give, do a full end around with him. Um I'd love to see more creative uses of him. He's not a between-the-tackles runner. You need to get him to the edges. You need to get him out in space. Be creative. That doesn't just have to be a toss sweep. That doesn't just have to be an outside zone. You can run jet sweep with him and be able to see if you can turn the corner and get around Matt Judon or, you know, you know, Hightower, guys like that. They don't have super – Jawan Bentley. They're not super athletic, fast linebackers. I think if you can get them uh, running sideline to sideline, um, you can beat one of them around the edge. You talk about creativity as well on this offense. Let's talk about the offensive struggles in general. You know, I know we talked about the old line and a little bit of Josh Allen, but uh, play calling, I feel like, especially down in the red zone, has been a huge, huge issue for this offense this year. You mentioned creativity. How else can they find ways to get into the end zone while they're down inside the 20? So my favorite thing this season is how high our expectations have come as fans that uh, were 29 and a half points a game, second in the NFL in scoring uh, multiple games. We take like the 40 to nothing Texans game, 31 to six uh, this past week. And we get on the post game show and the first questions we get are, man, what's wrong with the offense? What, what? And I'm like, dude, they just scored 40 points. Like, what, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I, I get it. It could have been prettier. It could have been a little bit more efficient, but like, come on, they, they just scored right. 31 points. Like anytime you score over 30 is pretty good. Um, it, it is, I will say, I get it from an aesthetic standpoint it doesn't feel as easy as it did last year it doesn't feel as pretty and mm-hmm. as efficient and we have those moments it's happened multiple times here in the last couple of games where against the saints you have that slog at the end of the second quarter where you had another turnover and man it's 10 points but we, we should have had 17 or 24 like what's going on and then they come out and it's boom touchdown drive touchdown drive touchdown drive but everybody already had that moment in their head where they're like oh man what's wrong with this offense what's going mm-hmm. on and by the time they get the other 21 points you're like well yeah fine you guys did it now but right. you know it's it, i think one fans need to realize the best offenses in the NFL the the record breaking chief season they don't actually score a touchdown every drive. Like, it's okay right. not right. to score a touchdown every single drive. 
Um, now, some of those things, you're inviting problems. You need to be more efficient in the red zone. Some of it's just luck. Some of it's mm-hmm. just, you know, hey, we've had open guys and, you know, there was uh, multiple plays. We went through a series where, you know, Sanders sits down on the right hip because he was reading leverage. Josh threw it to the left and it goes off the other way. Um, there's multiple plays like that where they were really close to getting a touchdown. You know, the Dawson Knox touchdown gets called back because of the the whole the uh, illegal yeah, uh, guy totally down field. Play, yeah. Yeah, you know, so it's plays like that don't show up, but, you know, you're Ike Bakker being one yard further back downfield, and all of a sudden Josh Allen has five touchdowns and one interception, and it's 17 nothing at halftime, and then 38-6, to and no one's talking about this. So it's Mm -hmm. – I think there's enough of those things where the raw numbers and the total overall score – should be reassuring that the potential is there and some of that efficiency from last year I think can come back. All right, so let's let's wrap this all together. We got Bills Patriots for the division lead here. How do you see oh. the game shaking out? And I, I it sounds like we may have some weather becoming a factor, but how do you see the game shaking out? Yeah, you know, I hate it that this is as pivotal of a game as what it is. <laughs> right? I hate it that the pa- pa- uh, Patriots matter like this again as quickly as what they do. Um the Bills are at home. The Bills are getting healthy at the right time. I know it's funny to say healthy when they just lost Trey White, but the rest of the roster is relatively healthy and getting the right guys back. Um, the Bills need to figure out a way to win this game. They need to be able to win this game. Um, I think that uh, my, my partner on the show, Aaron, I think said it really well. Mac Jones is better than, paid, than Bills fans want to admit. He's mm-hmm. not as good as the national media is making him out to be. He's better than Bills fans want to admit. He's not as good as Stephen A. Smith and Colin Coward <laughs> and the rest of these guys are making him out to be. He is not Tom Brady 2.0. He's not. Like, he's playing smart. He's playing well for a rookie. Yes, he's he... not Tom Brady. They, people mm-hmm. are going way overboard with what he's doing. He is there while the Patriots are winning. Mm-hmm. He's not the reason the Patriots are winning. Um, He has not faced a defensive coordinator. People talk about – um. Bill Belichick's record against rookie quarterbacks. Sean McDermott has a phenomenal record against rookie quarterbacks and is very good at confusing them. We need to see that. We need to see that Monday night. He needs to throw some things at Mac Jones. Him and Leslie Frazier need to pull out some tricks he's not ready for and to get him into some uncomfortable situations. They need to score early. They need to get the ball out there and get rolling quickly. They can't let the Patriots get out to an early lead, let their defense pin their ears back, let their offense get into four-minute drill, six off the offensive linemen, two tight ends and a fullback, you know, four-minute drill all the time. That's a terrible game script for the Bills. If they get out early, not a huge lead, but they just score first and start to control it, I think they can stay ahead. I think they can beat, they can outpace them and control this game. I don't think they're going to blow them out. I don't think they're going to pull away, but I think they can win. I have it 24-20 Buffalo. I think it's going to be closer than we want it to be, but I think the Bills can consistently stay one score ahead and just outpace them as the game goes. And I think we see Mac Jones look a little bit more like a rookie Monday night in it because I think he's going to be facing one of the best defenses he's seen. If this does become a, a weather game with some wind and sleet and stuff, do you think that favors more the Patriots or the Bills? Um, so it's interesting. 
I think a lot of people would default that, oh, it favors the more run-heavy team like the Patriots. Um, ben Solak is a guy that I like a lot. He was on a, a show, the Ringer Gambling Show, with, with Warren Sharp, two of the uh, smarter guys that I'm big fans of. Um, ben Solak brought up the fact that, hey, people will think of that and we'll talk about, oh, man, that favors the running team. Well, when it's a 15 or 20 mile an hour wind and you have a howitzer for a right arm, I'm not all that worried. Josh Allen can make just about every throw that he normally makes in that situation. When you have a pop gun as an arm and you depend on timing and accuracy and touch, 20 mile an hour wind is a huge deal. And that all of a sudden where you're trying to lightly feather a throw in there, when there's no conditions, he can place it right where he wants. Well, all of a sudden now, if the wind's moving it just a little bit, Josh Allen can rifle it in there and the wind isn't really moving the ball with him in the way that he puts so much touch and light throw on the ball. It makes a much bigger impact. So I hadn't really thought about it in that direction. Um, so I think at minimum, it's probably more neutral than people mm. think that I think that that cancels out the fact that, Oh, in general, bad conditions probably do favor the the more defensive run-heavy team. I think it also takes a couple throws out of Mac Jones' bag that all of a sudden maybe end up in Micah, Micah Hyde's hands rather than Kendrick Bourne's hands because it doesn't go where he think it's, thinks it's going to go. Do you um, – I'm going to give you guys a hot take. All right, I've been thinking about this all week, and I, I want to get Greg's reaction to this. Is, it, is this the I'm hot take saying. you tweeted today? Uh oh yes yes it is actually so I don't know if Greg saw okay, it. I was gonna I was gonna ask you about it yeah so that is my hot take um obviously this is a big game for the Bills this is AFC East is on the line uh you know you see New England again in a couple weeks but this is the big game I said this week that if the um if the Buffalo Bills do not win the AFC East they do not make the playoffs so. I, I don't think I agree with you, but I will say when there are 10 or 11 teams in the AFC with six or more wins, mm-hmm. mathematically, that's not crazy. And when you add in, there are some tiebreaker losses in there with teams like the Titans that if the Colts pass them or the Colts um, that are going for wild cards, all of a sudden you might have some tiebreaker losses. What if the Steelers win enough games and all of a sudden you lose a tiebreaker to them? Um, There are scenarios where I could see that happening. With the remaining games against the Panthers, the Falcons, the Jets, I think there's enough wins where, man, there's some wonky, weird teams in football this year and some ugly losses the teams are taking. I think the Bills are still going to get to 10 wins. I think they're still going to be able to do that. I think they could still get 11 or 12. Um, I think that they do still make it, but that's not crazy. Like, if they don't win this game, this is a huge game in both directions. If you look at any of the guys who do playoff leverage and they show the win percentage of likelihood of first round buy in the the number one seed likelihood of winning the division likelihood of winning the playoffs this is one of the biggest games in the nfl all season and how big of a swing it is for both teams um the winning team will be the highest likelihood of having home field advantage in the number one seed of any team in the afc they're going to have a huge head start the losing team could fall back to 10th 
in mm-hmm. the standings and be technically out of the playoffs as of that game. I think both teams are good enough to make it anyways uh, and to be able to come back from that. But this is a huge game in both directions. That's I don't think that's actually that hot of a take. I think it's possible. Yeah, I got a, I got a lot of flack on that today for. Oh, uh, it's for terribly out, unpopular. But, You're incredibly yeah. brave for saying that out loud. <laughs> but, um, it's probably not as crazy as they made you out to be. Yeah, you know, I just feel like you know, with everything going on and and how how lackluster this offense has looked at times, and and in all honesty, Josh Allen not looking like the Josh Allen from the first few weeks of the season. I, I go back to the Titans game. Josh Allen hasn't looked the same since the second half of the Titans game. You know, Josh Allen looked great in the first half, and all of a sudden, the second half, the, the entire offense kind of you know, was not the same offense of what we saw before. And since then, they have not been great. They've been good. They've been very good at times, but not great. And if they can't get back to that great-ish level, especially against the teams they're playing, uh, you know, I look at the Tampa game. That's going to be a tough game as well on the schedule. You got New England twice. You know, now you can split with New England, and sure, maybe you get in the playoffs. But, you know, if you drop both games to New New England, I think you're completely – Say you they, know, they have no to class. split. They have to split with with New England. Absolutely. They, they they really need to win both, but they ha- they absolutely must split. Um, if they lose both, they're absolutely in danger of missing the playoffs. Absolutely. Yes, and and that's that's right. I I and I, you always worry when you play Belichick, right? Belichick's always had Buffalo's number for that you know number of years, but we'll see if Josh Allen uh, can become the first quarterback since my favorite quarterback growing up, Doug Flutie, to beat the Patriots three times in a row. So we'll see if uh, if that can happen. I think it does. I got them winning uh, twenty one to twenty this week. I like it. Just to give you a hard time, a couple of the games since that Titans game, there's you know seventy five percent completion percentage, three sixty six and three <laughs> touchdowns. There's another one with eighty three percent completion percentage and four touchdowns. So our threshold for like, oh yeah, they don't look all that good. Right, we've right. raised the bar a little bit there, right. uh, but I, I get it. I get well, it. It well, doesn't now, look now, as explosive and as great as what we want it to be, but we, we've raised the bar a little bit on, on what we expect from this offense. Now we expect 300 plus yards a game. <laughs> yeah. Whereas before, 300 was, to three touchdowns is the starting point. That's like the exactly. entry to get into that, the VIP. You that's where we should get, be. You can't even get past the rope without without giving me 300 three touchdowns. Exactly. Exactly. Now, now, you know, once Josh Allen starts throwing for 400 again, then we'll be like, okay, there's offense back. To <laughs> All now, right. But, okay. Okay. Now, yeah, I can breathe breathe comfortable now. <laughs> Don't think it happens this week, by the way. Don't think Josh Allen is a. Yeah, no, no. This New England defense is legit. We are, yes. matter of fact, if you want any good bet, Nick just talked about the weather. I, I, take the under. I, I mm-hmm. think that this game going under 44 points is very much in play. I mm. think that a, a 17 13, 20 to 17, 21 17, I think those are very much in play as, as potential winning scores. Bills are also the favorite by three. So yeah, I've, I've seen two and a half at some books. It mm-hmm. started out at two or two and a half. It got bet up to three. It came back down to two and a half at some places. So um, the money's been fairly even on the mm-hmm. two teams so far. Um, it did go pretty heavy in the Bills' favor at first to get it up to three points, and now it stayed there in some books. Some had it back to two and a half. So a couple people uh, took the three when it got up there for the Patriots. Um, I think that's about right. I think these teams are probably annoyingly even i think the bills are more talented but they're yeah. annoyingly even so the home yeah. team should get three points like it's it's probably the right line i think so too uh it's gonna be a good game soon i feel like it's I, I just feel like it's gonna be stressful uh nick what what is your take uh 
for next yeah, week. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking a weather game here, and I'm actually thinking like there's going to be a lot. It's going to be like kind of ugly. There's going to be drives where you can't you can't punch it in. There's some stupid ass penalty where it's it's a lot of field goals in this game. I hope hopefully though the weather is you know not so bad that you can't even kick a field goal. Um, so I'm thinking more field goals than touchdowns for both sides. I'm going to say Bills 23, Patriots 20. I like it. And honestly, in the weather, we probably have a slight advantage. Nick Folk is a very good kicker. He's not an incredibly powerful kicker. Uh, the misses that he's had have been longer and in bad weather. You remember that Tampa Bay game? Um, he had a chance for a game winner late for a 50-yarder, came up short. Um, that was in some iffy weather. Um there's probably a slight advantage for Buffalo in a weather game mm. just because of Tyler Bass's power. Nick Folk's an older mm. guy. He's very good he's, he's been on the injury report pretty consistently. Yeah. He's always been playing. You know, it might be like a Brady thing where you just put him on there just to put him. But <laughs> he, he's he's very good. And if, if you, anybody has him in fantasy, he's scoring a ton of points. Um, so he has a lot of field goals this year. He's a good kicker. Guy, fantasy um, unit, all right? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, he's he's not a powerful kicker. Um, so if there is weather or nasty wind, it probably slightly favors Buffalo in that sense. Nice. This is uh this game is either going to have everyone calling for a dome or calling for no dome. That is for <laughs> sure. Build the yeah, dome. Yeah, I, I can't wait for that where the wind causes Mac Jones interceptions and Nick Folk missed field goals. And then I want to see the, the anti-domers out in loud vociferous <laughs> voices. Be like, the see, this is what we got with the home field advantage. Yeah. yeah it's, I, I'm, I'm waiting for it to go back and forth. Well, Greg, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, tell uh, us where everyone can find you on Twitter and all the good old social media and your, you know, I'll, I'll even let you, uh, uh, you know, share your TikTok, even though I'm still waiting <laughs> for a Jax Mahomes, uh, Greg Thompson uh, dance off match up match up dance off. Uh, yeah, they talked me into starting a TikTok. I, I haven't leaned into it fully yet, but uh, I'm 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 open to it. I'm trying it out. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Greg Thompson. You can find us on our YouTube channel. Is the best place to find us. Uh, search for Cover One on YouTube. We have uh, usually two shows every night uh, between the guys across the network. You can find me on our preview show Wednesday night. Always bringing on a great guest for the upcoming show, and then live immediately following every game. Uh, Aaron and I are with you. Uh, being able to break it down and um, you know either celebrating immediately and I, I crack some of my uncle jumbo <laughs> uncle jumbo's live on the air or uh, venting and, and helping everyone try to have some catharsis to get over the tough losses those are always the hardest shows but we're there with you win lose or draw uh, and we'll be here for you late Wednesday uh, late Monday night after this one excellent Greg thank you so much for joining us we appreciate it and if we don't talk to you before then have a very merry Christmas and uh, go Bills you guys too appreciate the opportunity Thanks for coming out, Greg. A lot of fun. Talk to you later. Thanks. Okay. All right, Nick. All right. That was uh... that. That was good. I got to tell you, I did look up the playoff leverage that he mentioned, and I like this from ESPN. Brian Burke tweets it out pretty much every week. So basically, if you're not familiar how it works, is it it has your, uh, you know, like a bar graph almost of your your current playoff odds, and then uh, this week's game is in like a slightly different color. And if you win, it's at this high. If you lose, it's at that high. And ESPN, at least, does not think this is a super important game for the Bills or the Patriots, mostly because it thinks they both have great playoff chances anyway. So it has the this game is only a 10-point swing for the Patriots and 13-point swing in playoff probability for the Bills. So they have this week Kansas City 26%, 
Bengals, 33%. Chargers, if the Chargers win or lose, they have a 35% swing in their playoff odds. Broncos, 33%. Colts, 30%. So there are other teams, at least according to ESPN. I'm sure there's other places that do, do similar metrics here. ESPN feels good about the Bills win or lose, which I guess is refreshing because everyone in town is like, oh my gosh, they can't lose to the Patriots on Monday Night Football. This is going to be a disaster. ESPN thinks you're still okay. You know, I, I, I'm i okay. Uh, my concern is the teams that are sitting behind Buffalo. You know, I think of the you look at the Chargers, you look at Las Vegas, Denver's, eh, you know, Indy worries me. And I think the big thing that worries me the most is the fact that all of Buffalo's losses this year have come against AFC teams, and that plays a big part in where you finish the season. Um, Vegas may get sneaky and, and, and sneak in. You know, I don't think Denver's going to do much. Pittsburgh doesn't look like much of a threat. Um, you know, obviously Cleveland's kind of been Cleveland. They've been up and down. Uh, but they may get hot. You know, it's the NFL. Any team can get hot at any time. And, and you know, you just got to get hot at the right time. And I think that's what we saw from Buffalo last year is they got hot at the right time towards the end of the year. And maybe that happens again this year. Maybe this is the game that flips things over and they start to get hot again. But, uh, you know, I, I, I do get a little bit worried looking at the schedule and, and, and seeing what might happen. Uh, you know, right now Baltimore, Baltimore is sitting in the number one seed spot. Um but this could be a game that can, you know, maybe also flip that at some point because I don't think Baltimore has looked great. They found ways to win games. You know, Lamar Jackson comes out with those four interceptions and they still find a way to win games. Um, so I'll be curious to see where where Baltimore ends up. But I, I do feel like this is a bigger game for Buffalo than what a lot of people want to say. Say it is strictly because of where everyone else is. Um, you know, sitting in the playoffs, you, you know, you, you look at again, a Cincinnati team's another team who's just been sneaky good this year, who right now is sitting at five. But you know, Cleveland's literally one game back, two games back of Buffalo. Um, you know, things can go either way, and and again, it's the NFL, man, things flip pretty quickly in this league, yes, sir. All right, Charlie, I am. Mentally prepare myself for the onslaught of texts you will send me mid-game anytime something goes wrong. Uh, Charlie, <laughs> you, so we did our predictions. Any last thoughts on the game? I would like to see the Bills personally clean it up on the penalties a little bit. It's been yes, so it's been frustrating how yes. many stupid little undisciplined penalties have been ruining drives, or they thought they were off the field on third light. Like they have back-breaking penalties every week, and it's all it's something stupid away from the play. That's it's just that's killer. You can't you can't make mistakes like that this week. No, and 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 any week. And I think Sean McDermott has tried to address that. I didn't see too many penalties last week. Um, but I'll be honest, I was a little full on turkey and and wine to really you know <laughs> pay too much attention. Um, but I I I do think that this is the week they they stay fairly clean. I think the big thing is going to be keeping Josh Allen clean. You know, uh, Greg mentioned Matt Judon. You got to worry a little bit about Matt Judon. He's a big guy. He's got 10 sacks already on the season. So he's definitely a guy you got to worry about and keep your eyes on. And, uh, you know, going up against a rookie like Spencer Brown, um, you know, hopefully Spencer Brown looks good and healthy coming back from COVID as well because you can't afford to have both your tackles looking like crap. Deion Dawkins hasn't looked great since coming back with COVID, uh, in my opinion. Um, You know, be curious to see what kind of John Feliciano this offensive line gets back. This Bills offensive line is going to play a huge role this week against this uh, this Patriots defense and and see what they could do and 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 again see what uh, Josh Allen can do and how Josh Allen looks. Um, 
at the end of the year, you know, or at the end of this game. And, and again, keep him clean. That's the main thing. Cause guess what? Your backup plan now going forward, everything happens is going to be uh, either Mitch Trubinsky or uh, uh, Davis Webb. Cause you Jake love Fromm, mispronouncing that name. I do. Dude, he's a pull. He lives in Buffalo. He's a Polak now. He's a Polak now. Uh, but I, I mean, you have, you have him or Webb uh, now that Fromm is in New York. So, you know, just please just keep keep Josh Allen clean and healthy. That's all I ask. That's all I ask. All right, Ch- Charlie, I'm just going to read this. It just came across. I thought it was super interesting. Not related at all, but you can sound smart to your friends. In the NBA, the Memphis Grizzlies just beat Oklahoma City 152-79, to which is the largest margin of victory in NBA history, 73 points. Uh, my high school freshman basketball team one time lost 52 to five, fairly close, fairly wow. similar to this. Okay. Part. Well, um, this is not related at all. I just, just saw no, it and I'm, I'm stunned. This is incredible. I didn't even know the Memphis Grizzlies were that good. I don't follow a lot of basketball. Uh, so I didn't know the Grizzlies were even legit. Uh, but you know, maybe Oklahoma's just not that good. Uh, anyway, tell you. yeah, good. Go, go basketball. Um, you know, uh, bring back Michael Jordan. I don't know. I, again, don't follow basketball. Couldn't tell you anything. Uh, but Nick, before we go, tell everyone where they could find you on the old Twitter machine. Well, I, I just want to tell you, it was funny because I found you on your couch watching Atlanta Hawks playoff game when I came to visit you in Atlanta. So it seemed like you were a little tuned into basketball, but you know, okay. I, I will, I will admit this college basketball. And- love, yeah. Love, love March mm-hmm. Madness. And playoff basketball, I guess I'll get a little bit into. Last year was strictly because I'm in Atlanta. You got to embrace the Atlanta ness of the Hawks. Uh, Definitely not. I will say this with the Braves going through the playoffs this year, there was not as much hype for the Hawks kind of going on their unprecedented. They they weren't supposed to be where they were last year in the playoffs. The hype was not the same with the Hawks and the Braves. You could say the Braves hype, uh, even game one of the playoffs, you know. No one thought the Braves were going to win the World Series. I don't even think, um, you know, I don't think there was even one expert that picked the Braves to win the series except me when we talked about it on our podcast. So no experts. Yeah, so, 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 so still not experts. <laughs> That's um, but but at the end of the day, um, it just it, it went to show me how much more of a baseball town Atlanta is as opposed to any other sport. And there's a reason why hockey didn't make it here, you know. Uh, it's a huge baseball town, and they're proud of their baseball team. And no matter how good the Hawks were, it was always the Braves, always the Braves, always the Braves, even the Falcons. No matter how good the Falcons are, people go to Falcons games. But I'll t- I'll be honest with you. I think you see a handful of people wearing Falcons gear as opposed to the amount of people wearing team gear that isn't even playing in the game. All right. Well, long live the Thrashers. And you can find me on Twitter at Nick Veronica, <laughs> Facebook.com slash by Nick Veronica. Thanks for listening. <laughs> There you go. What, what a guy, Nick. What, you're so polite. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Chowit68. I don't do the whole Facebook news thing, but you know, if you're always looking to read some good articles, my boy Nick has you covered. Uh, you can follow the Process Podcast on Twitter at the underscore Process Pod. Um, go Bills. Big game this week. And most importantly, remember to always trust the process. Peace.